You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Westside, and uh, all of our home churches. You guys, I want to spend a special shout out to you, send a special shout out to my own home church. Uh, you guys are doing incredible work. We're so grateful for everything that you mean to this Westside church community in the area of Central Oregon. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me over the last couple months, you know, when are we going to start meeting again? When are we going to start meeting again? Uh, the answer is that we're meeting right now because of your generosity and your willingness to open your homes and uh, be a leader that allows people to be drawn in, not just by a service by Westside Online, but by the church meeting together in your homes. Um, and we, we even have more than that. We have more than just home churches right now. We just started something that's called Sacred Spaces that happens every Wednesday and Thursday here at the atrium at the church. On both Wednesdays and Thursdays, you can come and just have a self-guided prayer time with some atmosphere going on. You can take communion. Uh, that's at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then on Wednesdays, you can come back again, or you can come for the first time. Uh, it's from between 6 p.m. and 6, 8, uh, 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. Uh, and that's really just a time where you could come and you can meet with God. You can make that environment whatever you want it to be. It's all socially distanced. It's all clean, all that kind of stuff. So you can come in and you can spend some time even here at our facility at the church. It's called Sacred Spaces. But the reason that all of that is so important is that uh, I'll just confess for myself. I believe that there's been some times in my life where I've been arrogant enough to believe uh, that the movement of God needs to come from someone like me. That this idea of church needs to be centralized with someone that we would call a pastor in a very specific and licensed sense. And um, look, I believe that pastors are important. Uh, I believe that I'm important because I'm a bit of a narcissist myself. Um, but the greatest thing about the, this entire thing that's happened is that we have been, again, awoken up to the idea that the Holy Spirit exists and lives within every single one of us. And so when I say that we're thankful for home churches, I'm not saying that as an afterthought. I'm not saying that as, well, you know, and just in until we're done with this pandemic and we've got everything figured out and everything is safe again. Uh, we're saying thankful. We're saying thank you to home churches because you guys are the lifeblood of what we're doing and will continue to do as Westside Church goes along. Because God exists in our living rooms. The Holy Spirit exists inside of every single one of us. Uh, and so it is ridiculous for leaders like me to believe that only effective church can happen in a conventional sense in an auditorium in a large area of property in our city. Instead, it happens inside of you. It happens in your living rooms. It happens with what is going on right now, right where you sit or stand. And by the way, in this context, at least for me in my home church, uh, it comes with breakfast casserole. So anyway, in the name of Jesus, I mean, I hope that was funny for you guys. There's no laughing going on this side of the, the, the microphone. Uh, we're continuing on in our, in our series as we're, we're going through the miracles of Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 21 and verse 1 here. And this is a, a miracle outside of something like healing. This is a different kind of thing where Jesus shows up in, in a dynamic way that he actually shows up in a couple times in scripture. So let's remember in John 20, John reminds the people that are reading his scripture why Jesus did everything that he did. And he says it's so that you might continue to believe or that your faith might be strengthened or encouraged. It's not just so that we can have a, a, a manual of how to create and perform miracles. It's so that we might have a greater understanding of the nature of Jesus. And Jesus shows more of that nature here in John 21, verse 1. So it starts with this. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. 
And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. This is after uh, Jesus has died and been resurrected. They've seen him a couple times so far since he's been resurrected. And again in verse 3, it says, we'll come too, all the disciples said. So they went out into the boat. They caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for everything that's going on in our community in Central Oregon and Westside Church. Uh, Lord, your church is alive and well and more dynamic than it has ever been right now in this moment, Jesus. So we, we embrace that. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit to guide us through these uncharted waters. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last year when, when sports were going on, uh, my family and I took uh, what we try to make kind of a biannual trip up to Seattle to watch a few baseball games. Uh, I'm a big Mariners fan. If you haven't heard me preach before, I'm going to hit all the notes. I'm going to talk about my kids and I'm going to talk about baseball uh, in this one message. Uh, we got to go and we have a, a friend that was really generous enough to, to get us down on the field for batting practice before the game. The Mariners were playing the Yankees um, and we were the only ones down on the field kind of behind the batting cage there was actually like a couple full little league teams down there and everybody's you know looking for autographs and every time a player gets done warming up uh, they're shouting at them and holding the ball out in the sharpie and all that kind of stuff and my son included my son's four years old at the time uh, and because they're playing the Yankees, that means there's a guy named Aaron Judge who's out warming up. And Aaron Judge, if you don't know, he's like 6'7". He's larger than life. He doesn't look like a lot of baseball players. He looks like, uh, you know, a basketball player. He looks a lot closer to LeBron James than he does to someone like me. And... Um, and Aaron Judge makes it kind of clear that he's not signing for anybody. He's not going to slow down or take any time right this moment. Uh, and so the, the huge groups of little leaguers that have been kind of swarming uh, after even like on top of my son. I think Joel got knocked down once. And so I was punching 12-year-olds and just kidding. I wasn't doing that. But uh, they've kind of moved on to, to see if they can get some autographs from some other players. And my son stayed over on this side. And every once in a while, he would just say, Mr. Judge, excuse me. Mr. Judge, excuse me. And after a couple times of saying it, uh, Aaron Judge was, would, would kind of make a face at him and he would kind of wave at him and then he would kind of point his bat at him. And eventually he came over uh, and he signed a ball for my son really slowly. You can see really clearly his name all the way across the ball. Um, and he stopped, but it wasn't just a signing. He stopped and he talked to him and he said, man, you look like a great baseball player. I bet you're going to be a big leaguer someday. And I bet you can hit the ball like this. And I bet you can catch like this. And he began to kind of pour over all this encouragement onto my son. And then when the swarms of little leaguers came back, he actually called them away and he said, I'm talking to this one right here. I'm talking to this guy. He's my friend. And Joel's just like, you know, and he doesn't have that many memories from being four years old. But to this day, he remembers exactly what Aaron Judge was talking with him about that day at the ballpark. He has what psychologists would call a transformational moment. Uh, they're inherently transformative, psychology today says. They instantaneously expand awareness and alter one's sense of self. Psychologist Abraham Maslow coined the term peak experiences to suggest the inner magnificence of such rare and distinctive events. 
Transformational moments are marked by personal interaction, insight, humility, character, emotion, and vision. And what Jesus does with this miracle, he doesn't just kind of have um, some kind of parlor trick where he just says, yeah, so I want you to just have a bunch of fish and here we go. He uses this miracle of this incredible catch of fish to have a transformative moment with one of his disciples called Peter, who if you don't know, Jesus has told Peter in the, in the lead up to his death and his resurrection that Peter would be the rock on which he would build the church. And then Peter, after that, goes on to deny Jesus three times as, as Jesus is being arrested and he's being taken to the cross. Uh, Peter looks at people who say, hey, you've been with Jesus. And he goes, no way, that's not me. You're looking for somebody else. I'm not him. I've never been with him. I've never been associated with him. And Jesus knew that this would happen. He even tells Peter that he would deny him and still Peter denies him. And so Jesus uses this incredible miracle as a setup to sit down and have a transformative moment with Peter. He finds this critical disciple on the timeline of the world returning to what he had always done, fishing. And now he knows he needs to do something to cast the vision for his life again, to transform Peter's thinking again. He knows that something powerful needs to become something personal. I want you to understand today more than anything that the powerful things that happen in our lives, the powerful moments, the transformative moments, the big miracles that we see and that exist in scripture were always intended to create something personal between you and God. Otherwise, what we can do as a people is we can simply just chase miracles all the time. We can chase big movements. We can chase big moments. We can run after emotions that we feel during our favorite worship songs. But Jesus is saying, look, all these things are incredible. And I made you with emotions on purpose. And I perform miracles to show and remind people of my sovereignty. But ultimately, all these things will fade away. But these personal, intentional moments that we have with our Lord and Savior were meant to be the things that can sustain us for the rest of our lives. So I want to tell you today if your Christianity has come down to a service or if it has come down to a big moment or in search of a miracle, I got to tell you, you're missing everything that Jesus had intended for our lives. Every big moment that exists in scripture and every big moment that has happened in our lives, transformational moment was meant to create something long-term and personal and relational in our lives. So this is how Jesus has this and creates this moment with Peter. In John 21, we continue on in the story, verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. And the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. In Jesus' name, breakfast. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? And they knew it was the Lord, and Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. Again, transformative moments are marked by something personal. Jesus does something personal personal by creating and making breakfast for the disciples. And it goes on in verse 15. I know it's a lot of reading. Just keep up with me. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. 
then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, remember Peter denied Jesus three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. In verse 19, check this out. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said, follow me. Jesus shows that he has insight into Peter's life and his mind uh, by asking him three times because he knows that Peter denied him three times. Uh, Jesus comes with a humble heart because he speaks to someone that betrayed him in such a humble fashion. There's no grandstanding or shaming. Have you ever noticed, uh, maybe it's just me, but have you ever noticed in your own life that when somebody's betrayed you or said something poorly about you, for me at least, it's not good enough a lot of times to just get an apology or, or to, to have someone come to me and just say, I'm sorry, I know this is what I've done. I would love for them uh, to experience dramatic amounts of shame. I don't want to just hear you're sorry. I want you to feel so bad about how you treated me. And then what I often find myself doing is watching that other person's life via Instagram or, or whatever social media platform that I might have and be going, yes, they're continuing to fail, which elevates my own life and makes me feel incredibly better. Now I feel like you've had your punishment and maybe I will forgive you. But what does Jesus do? Because, of course, Jesus is perfection. He's God with skin on. He's greater than all of us. He sits down and he has a humble conversation with a man who he poured so much into his life. And then he went on to deny him anyway. Even though Peter was adamant at the time, I would never betray you. Jesus sits down and he has an encouraging conversation with the man who gave up on him. No grandstanding, no shaming. And then what Jesus does is he evokes emotion and vision into the equation. Jesus bookends the story of Peter and reminds him that he can go back to the beginning and see the vision for the future. I'm going to show you that with uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. If you want to go ahead and put that up on the screen. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this is as, Je as Peter's being called. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. But now let me show you the long version of this story of Peter getting called. I think this is the reason that Jesus performs the miracle and, and tells them to throw the nets on the other side of the boat to go get fish because he knows that it's going to communicate this powerful point to Peter. And then we're going to close. It says in Luke chapter 5, this isn't going up on the screen, so just listen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds passed in on him. To listen to the word of God, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go where it's deeper and let out your nets to catch some fish. Jesus, again, telling fishermen how to fish. Master, Simon replied. He's not even really fully following Jesus at this point. He says, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. 
And this time their nets were so full of fish, sound familiar, they began to tear. The shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus. Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they caught, as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left, they left everything and they followed Jesus. Jesus creates a miracle at the end of the story of him on earth, he creates a miracle that emulates, if not recreates, the very moment that Peter followed Jesus in the first place. There's this incredible catch of fish and there's this imploring attitude to come and to follow him. I wonder what would happen in your life and I wonder what would happen in my life and in the life of the church if in this moment of incredible chaos and this moment of, of really our opportunity to jump off into what is going to look like a new church, it's going to look like a new thing that God is doing. I wonder, instead of maybe getting so consumed with the chaos like Peter did when Jesus was going to the cross and he denied everything and he became emotional and began to rage against everything that everyone was saying against him, instead of just allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed with emotion, I wonder what would happen if we allowed Jesus to do the thing that he did with us at the very beginning of our walk with Jesus. I wonder if this transformational moment that was brought on by this powerful miracle and move of God would bring us back, not to creating all the minutia and getting wondering what's going on and everything swirling around us. Instead, Jesus would sit down with us and that we would listen and he would call us back to the beginning of following him. Because in both stories, Peter has all kinds of baggage, or at least he has some excuses, right? Look, man, I, I, I gave up on you. I denied you. I made it public. I posted about it. I posted about it on Facebook. I turned our uh, I turned our notifications for our relationship onto it's complicated instead of together. I publicly made it known that I didn't want to follow you anymore and still you sit with me. And just like at the beginning when Jesus says, look, Peter, I want you to go out into the deep parts of the water and I want you to fish again. Peter's going, look, I've been out there. It's not working. I know how to fish, but man, if, if you say so, and we allow ourselves to put behind all these things that would want to keep us away from the simple idea of following Jesus again of listening to Jesus again. I wonder the power of the movement that would come from a group of people that would allow ourselves to remove us from all these other things that would want to hang on and determine how our faith is supposed to act in this day and age. And instead we would grab hold of Jesus. We would listen to his teachings and we would follow after him. I wonder if we wouldn't realize again the anointing that exists on our lives and the vision that is cast for the church when we free ourselves from all these other things that people tell us our faith is about and instead we would follow Jesus. What would happen if we went back to the beginning, not to ignore the issues and the pain and the real things of the world, but what if we went back to the beginning, the essence of faith? What if we remembered why we started this whole thing in the first place? We embrace again the miracle of grace when all we did was fish 
and fish and fish for men. Look, you guys, I think this is an incredible time to be alive in the church. And I've had um, all kinds of ideas about what this is exactly supposed to look like. I've felt incredible amounts of insecurity during this time as a father, as a leader, as a pastor, as a Christ follower. I've been confused and really discouraged. I've wondered what tomorrow is going to look like for us as a community. And I really believe that the way that we can be drawn out of this, again, just like Peter was drawn out from his past and his insecurities and the sins that he committed directly against the man that he called Savior. I wonder if we embraced this transformational moment in time. We allowed God to do an incredible dynamic thing. I wonder if people wouldn't see the church for exactly what God had intended it to be. Father God, we thank you for this morning. And Jesus, we, we want to embrace right now this new reality. Or I don't understand all the politics of it. I don't understand why exactly we got to the way that we are. I don't understand all the science behind viruses and anything like that. But I do understand, at least a little bit more than any of those, the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And the anointing and the calling that you've put on our lives, it will not be denied. So Lord, even in times in church history, the first 200 years when the, when the church was created and, and people went into hiding and there was whispers about what you had done, a powerful move happened. Why? Because the ultimate currency was still being communicated and given, and that is the currency of hope. Jesus, you offer us hope right now. Lord, I pray that we would be conveyors of that hope, that transformation, that new vision. We thank you for all that you're doing in this place. We embrace you, just you. We follow just you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, I want to say it uh, because you guys need to hear it. We're so thankful that home churches are happening in the life of Central Oregon. Uh, it's not an afterthought. It's an important, massive, may, probably the most important thing about Westside right now is what's happening in these home churches. So we're so grateful for you. Uh, there's going to be some questions that we're going to go ahead and put up right now that can go ahead and start conversation immediately after this message. Uh, we're so grateful for everything that you do. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of community together. We love you so much. You're now free to roam about the cabin. <laughs>